Welcome to Reveal Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. This is always a uh, special time for me as a pastor. There are only two places within the Bible that God instructs for us things that we are to do on a regular basis in our worship services, two ordinances that have been set forth for the church. The first of those ordinances is baptism. Baptism. I believe with all of my heart that baptism is to reflect that which Christ did when Christ was baptized. He was not baptized for the remission of his sins, for he was sinless. He was baptized in obedience to his Father, as an outward sign that, that he was obedient, that he was God. And there was proof positive that what he did in his baptism there, as John the Baptist placed him under the water and he rose up from that water, there's proof positive that what he did in that place that day was what God wanted done for the voice of God was heard. When he said, this is my son. Not only that, but... The Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove and alighted upon him there. We see God saying, yes, this is exactly what I wanted. In, in our church, we have at times taken very lightly that baptism. We have many who have been baptized without, or been baptized without first having the remission of sin because we as a church have made it a thing not understanding that it's an ordinance of God. It has a certain sequence to it. First and foremost in your heart, you must come to realize that you are a sinner. You must, from that recognition that you are a sinner that's given to you by the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart, you must believe in what Jesus Christ did upon a cross. And that he didn't do it for the world in general, he did it for you in particular, personally. I say that to say this, it's not something your mother or your father can do for you. It's not something your grandfather can do for you. It's not something that you grow up in. It's not even something I as your pastor can do. It's not something this church can do by placing you on a roll. It is a one-on-one experience between you and God through Jesus Christ. So that baptism is very important. It's an ordinance set forth. Why do I mention that as we head towards this communion? Because first and foremost, to participate in the second ordinance, the first must have been done in your life and done properly. Because if it has not been done properly, it tells us in Corinthians that you bring upon yourself the possibility of death. Do I believe that if you come to this table unworthily, not having a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you participate in the taking of the bread and the drinking of the juice, that you'll fall dead? I believe it is a possibility, yes. God takes it that serious. See, there is nothing else, he tells us in the Bible, that would do that to you. He tells us that honoring your father and your mother will give you long life, and he tells you partaking of this without your heart being right with him, could be the stamp of death upon your life both spiritually and I utterly believe physically there are many among us that are sick because they do this without being 
in right relationship. I step to the pulpit every time we do this with really no thought, no plan about what God's about to do in our presence. I jot down a few verses that are special in my heart to communion, and I let God take control and tell us what he would through this. I want you to understand the importance about this second ordinance and what we're about to do. This should be a remembrance of your first taking of that body of Christ and receiving that washing of the blood. That must precede you coming to this table. There is nothing uh, disgraceful about you even this morning before we come saying, I have never received Jesus as my Lord and Savior and I want to do that this morning. God may lead us in that direction before we come to this table. And if he does, I pray that you respond in faith to him. That your heart be right. There may be those here that have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you believe with all of your heart that your destiny is is eternity in heaven with him. And you know that that is your destiny. Yet in your life at this moment, there are sins that you have not forsaken. There are sins you have not repented of. And repent doesn't mean to come and say, I did it again, please forgive me. Repent means coming to God and saying, God, I can't believe I did this again. I not only want forgiveness, but I want you to turn my heart from that that I may never do it again. See, we're quick sometimes to use God as that vending machine to spit out the forgiveness, to forgive us of our sins so our conscience feels better. Yet the minute we walk out of His presence, we walk right back into that same sin in our life again. This morning you are to approach this table with clean hands and a pure heart. You can only do that by being honest with God and say, this is what I've done and it breaks my heart that I would do that to you who loved me so much. And I not only want to be forgiven for having done it, but I never want to go back there again. That's how you approach this table. So this morning with that thought in mind, let's look at what's said about communion, about the Lord's Supper. Let's look in Luke 22. We'll start there and see where God is going to lead us. Luke 22. We'll start in verse 14. Looking at the lead up to the last of the Passovers and the first of the Lord's celebration at the table that we call the Lord's Supper. So Luke 22, verse 14, it says this. When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. So there was 13 of them gathered in this upper room that we know by reading the different uh, reports of this story through the Gospels. So those 13 were gathered. It says in verse 15, Then he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I find it very interesting. He had sent... Ahead of time, before they gathered, he had sent two to find a person unnamed who had a room with no address that was set aside for them together. God had sent the Holy Spirit ahead to prepare the hearts of a man who was going to provide for them a place that they could observe the last Passover because the Passover season was upon them. At dark that day would start the Passover. So they had gone and prepared, and he says to them, with fervent desire, with fervent desire, Jesus wanted to come into the presence of those who were the closest to him and celebrate this Passover with them. He desired with all of his heart 
to be in their presence. I tell you this morning, God desires with all of his heart to be in your presence as we come to this table. He wants to be here with you. Fervently, he desires to to observe this Lord's Supper. He says he fervently desired to eat the Passover with him. And he says it was before he suffered, which gives us a clue as what's about to happen to Jesus. Up until this time, they saw him as the king who had come to set up a new kingdom. They saw him as this healer, this provider. They, I believe they thought in all their heart they would never be separated from him, that he would be with them as he was forever. They thought that the Messiah had come to stay. Yet Jesus knew. Jesus knew. Jesus knew in his heart that the ones he loved so much were going to see him beaten. They were going to see him hanged upon a cross. They were going to see him die. They were going to see him put away inside of a tomb. And they were going to scatter. He knew with all their heart as he left this place, their relationship would never be the same again. He desired to spend time with them before he suffered. He goes on to say, For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus knew the next time he sat at the table with those that he loved would be in a place called heaven. He knew the next time that he fellowshiped in this manner, breaking the bread with his loved ones, would be in the presence of his God, his Father. And he says, I desired to do this with you before I suffered because I will never do this again until the end has come. He goes on in verse 17 and he says, he took the cup. He says he took that cup and he gave thanks and he said, Take this, divide it among yourselves, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then it says in verse 19 that he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, This is my body which is given for you. What an awesome picture Jesus painted of his reality on this earth, his, his mission, what he had been sent for. For they had seen him heal the broken bodies. They had seen him raise the dead. They had seen him feed thousands of people. They had seen a woman touch the hem of his garment. And unbeknownst to him, apparently, she just reached up and touched the garment and was healed. They had seen him tell people who had come and saying, I have a loved one at home that is dying. And he says, go home they're okay they had seen him sit in a room teaching people and others so desired to put a person in a presence that needed him that they took the roof off a house and lowered a person right into his presence they had seen all these things that Jesus had done yet that's not what Jesus said his purpose here was he never said he came to fix our bodies he never came to say he was here to repair our marriages. He never said he was here to make sure we had everything we needed to eat. He never said 
that just asking from him would solve it. What he said he came to do was to have his body broken and his blood spilled for the remission of our sins. If that takes place, all the other things solve themselves. He says here to them, I've had my body broken. I've had my blood spilled. This, this is what's happened physically on this earth, yet you haven't seen it. But this is the plan. This plan's going to change your life forever. He goes on to say that we should do this in remembrance of him at the end of verse 19. And then 20. It says, likewise, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup, the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Jesus brought something new to the table. You see, they were there at that table to observe Passover. Yet he says, what I'm about to do is going to completely do away with that. That is no longer going to be necessary. From this moment forward, there's only one way you can understand what salvation is. Understand there was only one way to be saved from Genesis to Revelation. The killing of a lamb was never, ever going to eternally pay for your sins. That's why it had to be repeated over and over and over again. Jesus said that ceremony that was set in place... By God, for you, is going to be done away with. Because in your presence is the Lamb, whose body will be broken, whose blood will be spilled, that you may be eternally saved. Never, ever to have to be repeated. There's not another thing that ever has to be done by us or for us for salvation. What an awesome thought to think that here he said of this group of men that had seen this Passover celebration year after year. And we're actually physically partaking. What is the Passover? What is it all about? Exodus. Exodus chapter 12. And I'm just going to read this. I know you find it odd, but I never have enough time for what God lays upon my heart. But I'm going to read through this for you. As a picture of what this Passover was. In Exodus chapter 12, we're coming off the plagues. The plagues that have been brought upon Pharaoh and Egypt because of the fact they held God's people in captivity. You remember there was everything from the, the water turning to blood to, to locusts showing up to frogs to just numerous plagues. These things that came upon this country to turn Pharaoh's heart to release God's people from captivity. Right before chapter 12, the most ultimate devastating plague is pronounced. Pharaoh's told that God's about to show up. And the firstborn of everything in that country is going to die. That firstborn is going to just be slaughtered in that country. There's going to be no respecter of persons from the very throne to the slave in the field to the animal inside the pen. The firstborn is going to be slain. And we start 
chapter 12 like this. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months, and it shall be the first month of the year to you. In other words, there's something new about to happen. He says, Moses, Aaron, there's something new. This is going to be the beginning. This is the, the Nisan, as they, they come to know it in, in the New Testament. He says in verse 3, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb. What was the date of the story in Luke 12 we just, or Luke 22 we just read? It was the tenth of Nisan, that, that beginning of the Passover. He says, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take... For himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for the household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your account for the lamb. Why? This lamb was to be completely consumed. He goes on to say, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it from the sheep or the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. They're to bring this lamb into their house and become very familiar with it. It's to become a pet. It's to become something they see and know and love. It says, Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight as it becomes dark. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts of the lintel of the house where they eat it, they are to take that blood and they are to place it on the outside post and across the top of the door of this house. And it says in verse 8, Then they shall eat the flesh on the night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with the bitter herbs that they shall eat. Why unleavened bread? Because the leaven represented the world's influence in their life which changed that bread into something else. They were to eat it unleavened. Why the bitter herbs? The bitter herbs was to remind them of the hundreds, hundreds of years of captivity. It was to remind them of all the suffering they had been through. There was, there was a key point in all of this. And that unleavened bread was to make them know that the world shouldn't be in them. And the, the bitter herbs was to remind them what the world had done to them. So it says that they should take those bitter herbs and they shall eat it. Then it says in verse 9, Do not eat it raw nor boiled and all with water, but roasted in fire, its heads, its legs, and its entrails. They were to eat every bit of this lamb. It says then in verse 10, You shall let none of it remain until morning. And what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, with sandals on your feet, and with a staff in your hand. How many of you show up to dinner fully dressed to leave in a hurry? See, because that's what he's telling them. Gird up your waist, put on your walking shoes, and get your staff. Why? Because something's about to be different for you. You're about to make this exit. He goes on to say, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. He says you're to do this quickly. You're to do this in great haste with anticipation of what God's about to do. He tells us in verse 12 what it is he's going to do. He says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. So many people say they cannot believe God would allow anyone to go to hell because God's a God of love. Tell that to the firstborn of everything in Egypt on that night. 
For God said, out of his judgment because of their hard hearts towards him, he showed up and slaughtered the firstborn of everyone. So he says, at the end there, verse 12, going to slaughter them in a judgment. Why? Because I am the Lord. He has that right because he is God. He goes on to say, now the blood shall be a sign of you on the houses which, uh, where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you that destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. When Jesus looked at them and said, this cup represents a new covenant he's saying never again will you have to slaughter a lamb and place that blood upon your doorpost because you're going to be covered in the blood of the lamb jesus christ for all of eternity he says that passover celebration was done as a remembrance of what god was about to do in the exodus from that country and god's sovereign grace his judgment upon those who don't believe in him as well as his love upon those who are his chosen and now Jesus looks at those 13 and through them, at, or those 12, and through them he looks at us and says, here's my promise. What I've done upon that cross is sufficient for the remission of your sins. God's judgment will pass over. God's judgment will pass over you because of the blood of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. What an awesome thought to think that Jesus sat down with those men and said what you have done for hundreds of years out of your own desire out of your own following as out of your obedience yes because god set it in place out of out of your acts towards god that no longer is going to be sufficient there's only going to be one thing sufficient that's me I ask you, have you ever stopped and thought about the magnitude of what Christ did for you? You see, because there's only two things that can happen. According to Exodus, according to the entire New Testament, either you've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, or you're going to be judged to death. That's your choice. Your choice is you take the blood of Jesus and place it upon the doorposts and lintels of your heart, by accepting him as your Lord and Savior, or you say, no, I have a better way, and your destiny is death and hell forever. That's your choice. There's not a thing you can do. There's not enough lambs you can kill. There's not enough people you can gather to eat it. There's not enough good works you can do. There's not enough money you can give. There's not enough of anything you've got that can change what God said. God said there is one lamb, and it's my son, Jesus Christ. And either you believe that his death upon the cross washed away your sin and that his rising from the dead gives you the hope of eternal life with me. Either you believe that or you're already judged to a place called hell. As we come to his table this morning, I can't help but think I deserve none of that. Left to myself, I would have tried to find a way to God. I would have built the tower i would have tried to climb to god i would have done what i felt was necessary to accomplish right standing with god i would have done those things that made me happy 
I would have done those things that, that I thought were right. Yet God says, those things were as filthy rags. The only thing, the only thing that saves us from the same judgment as the firstborn in Egypt and all of those we see throughout the Bible, the only thing that saves us from that is Jesus. So I ask you this morning before we approach this table, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you stopped and thought Except for the gracious love of God, I would be just like them. I would be in a place called hell for all of eternity. Have you ever stopped and thought? God gave it all for us. We, we give so little for him. Have you ever taken the time to stop? And examine your own heart. For God tells us in his word. That we must. We must. 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 Accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Or pay the penalty. By dying and going to a place called hell. He tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Right after the passage I read for the kids this morning, he says this in verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. What's an unworthy manner? First and foremost, to approach this table without the knowledge of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and the acceptance of Him as both your Savior from sin and the Lord of your life, which are two separate things. In other words, he saves you from your sin, and now because he saved you from his sin, he's in complete control of your life. To approach without those things is unworthy. Also, to approach this table without asking for the forgiveness of sin that has showed up in your life, even though you may know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, without asking for forgiveness of that sin, you still approach this table unworthily. So he says that if you approach it unworthily, you're guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. In verse 28 he says, but let a man examine himself. How do you examine yourself? It's coming before the Almighty God with no pretense, no thought that there's anything in your heart that God doesn't already know. You're not coming before God to say, God, let me tell you about what I did. He already knows. It's coming before God to say, God, I want to agree with you that what I did was sin. I want to agree with you that it wasn't a little white lie. I want to agree with you that not stopping and helping that neighbor that you told me to is a sin. I want to agree with you, Father, that sitting on a church pew for 50 years to make a good face isn't going to save me. I, I want to agree with you, Father, that, that it's a sin. You see, coming worthily to the table is being completely open and honest with God about your life. So he says, examine yourself. So I ask you this morning... 
Have you examined yourself? He goes on to say, So let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner and eats, uh, eats uh, unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. In other words, not realizing that what you're about to do unworthily is going to bring wrath upon your life. In verse 30, he says this, For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep, which is the word used in the New Testament for death or die. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. You need to write that scripture on your mirror, on your hand, and in your heart. For he says, if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. If you're honest with yourself this morning, how many of you have really stopped and said, using God's standards, how does my life fit? What in my life needs to change to match this? He's saying, if you'll stop and look at your heart and be open and honest with God and ask for forgiveness in those places where you fail and his strength to walk away from that, repent and walk away, if you'll do that, his judgment won't be on you. He says, but when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Here he is not saying that you as a Christian are judged to a place called hell. He's saying the world will be condemned to a place called hell. You as a Christian, if you have not examined your heart, there are consequences. The loss of your salvation is not one of those consequences. But a life of sickness, weakness, and death could be. <laughs> He's saying, examine your heart that you may not be condemned. He says, therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if there is anyone, uh, if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. What is he saying? As we approach the Lord's table, we should do it with humility. Humility in our own hearts about our lives. We should do it in humility towards others. But most importantly, we should only do it. We should only approach this table if we know Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And we have paused to reflect upon how our life lines up with this word. And if anything be found in us that is not worthy and lined up with God's word... We're quick to fall upon our face and ask for forgiveness of that. So this morning I'm going to ask if Diane will just come and play softly for me. That room at the cross for you. As she plays that this morning, we're quietly going to deal with our hearts before God. We're going to judge ourselves asking that God not judge us. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.